0: The all-creating one, God Almighty, through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I hey, this is Lee Snow, I'm the preacher of Warm Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that would be advisable, since that's where we're going to start our Study this morning. First Corinthians chapter twelve. We're we're going to round out our um, our study of the giant banner on the back wall for a little while, but don't don't get too cozy because we're going to keep mentioning it's going to be up there all 2019. We're going to be pushing uh, through 2019 to to try to uh, try to have some impact on those. Um, those percentages back there, first Corinthians chapter twelve you know there 's a there 's a lot of misconceptions about the church um, used to well i guess I guess they still do it i i 'm kind of out of the uh, out of the game these days, i suppose but um, used to they they 'd tell uh, they'd tell young preachers that if, uh, if you're going to preach a sermon, you have to really preach it to yourself before you preach it to anybody. And that doesn't mean practice, okay? Maybe, maybe, I mean, I guess if you're starting out, that's a good thing and that sort of thing. But what they mean by that is, what the, the old timers, we call them graybeards. What the graybeards mean by that is that you need to take something from your sermon before you try to teach other people and try to get them to take something from your sermon. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. Uh as I was studying this, this topic this past week and over the last few weeks, um, let me just put it this way. Some sermons are meant to encourage. Some sermons are meant to help the downtrodden. Some sermons are meant to help the hurting. Other sermons are meant to sting a little bit. And this one stung me drastically over the last month. And uh, so I guarantee you, Something that the world needs. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the church. A lot. A lot of misunderstandings about the church. In the New Testament times, people misunderstood the church because they thought that we were cannibals because every Sunday we get together and we take of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They're cannibals. They're eating the body and blood. They had no clue what was going on. First century, they had problems with with people misunderstanding the church and saying that it's, it's, it's this group that practiced incests Because they marry people that they call brother and sister. And so it's incest. They had no clue what they were talking about. The reason why members of the church call each other brothers and sisters is because of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The reason why we take of the body and the blood of Jesus is because we're remembering what he did for us. The, the church has been misunderstood for the last two thousand years, as long from the day that it was started, really really and truly from from the moment that Jesus started talking about it over and over again in the gospel accounts, Jesus mentions the the kingdom coming in in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he prays that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven over and over again he talks about the kingdom coming, and people thought back then that that was an earthly kingdom that that was Jesus was going to come he was going to have some soldiers they didn't know where he was going to get the soldiers from because his followers were basically a bunch of bums a bunch of rednecks from the mountains who didn't care about you know training and that sort of thing they didn't know where he was going to get these soldiers but they thought that that's what it was and that's one reason why the Jews were able to talk the Romans into killing him. Because he kept saying that there was a king higher than Caesar, and so they they spun what he was saying and into people misunderstanding the church and thinking that Jesus was trying to to build some kind of nation around him. But nowadays, the church is misunderstand, misunderstood for for different reasons. nobody thinks that we're cannibals anymore, nobody thinks that we're we're practicing incest anymore because well. For the most part, in our society, people know some degree of what Christianity is about. But the church is still misunderstood because it's still understood as being the source of doctrine. What does the church believe about this? Just a few weeks ago, I was asked, Lee, what does your church teach about? I'm not going to tell you what the person asked about. Church doesn't teach anything. It wasn't already set in stone. The church doesn't believe anything that wasn't already established before it ever began. The church wasn't established until Acts chapter 2, and yet Jesus taught the foundations of Christianity all the way back from the moment that he's 13 years old, sitting in the temple, and arguing with people that were four times his age, and Jesus was able to have a conversation with him Because number one, he's God, and number two, because he understood the Bible more than they did at the time. People misunderstand the church because they think that it's the source of doctrine. People misunderstand the church because they think that it's an organization. It's not. The church is not an organization. I don't know how many times I, I, can, I can show you congregation after congregation after congregation after congregation that thought that the church was an organization, and so they ran it like a business. And then what happened when they ran the church like a business was that it became so cold And so hard-hearted that it didn't care about anything but the bottom line. And eventually those churches would end up closing. Or those churches would end up fighting so much that they just went their own ways. People misunderstand the church because they think that the church is something that we just do on Sundays. That we go to church. I have no problem with saying we're going to church. Because... The fact is that the word church in the New Testament is the word Ecclesia, which means called out, and numerous times in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, people gathering together are called the gathering, the ecclesia, the church. So what we're doing here is church. But that's but it's so much more than just an hour on Sundays, or as in the case of today, you know. We got we got a long day ahead of us. I'm gonna need a nap after this. Okay. So much more, so much more than putting our bodies in a pink pew and sitting for a few hours. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, one member suffer, we all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Church is not some doctrine generating organization that comes up with new beliefs that's, that's so far from the truth. That's why we have so many... So many groups over the world that just, they come up with new things every day and a half because they think that that's that's what the church does. The church is not some some thing that we get together on Sundays to do. It's not not an organization, it's not a business to be run. we're, We're not worried about the bottom line here. The church is every single one of you and me. I was talking to one person this past week, and she said, "You think this? You think the church has everything right?" I said, uh, "Have you met the church lately?" No. Of course we don't have everything right. I can't drive down Veterans Parkway without losing my temper at somebody. We don't have everything right. But the church is more than 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 an organization. It's the body of Christ. What can the body of Christ do in a world where 33.8%, 28.9%, 39.5%, and 37.8% of the people sitting around us have no care whatsoever? One reason why I put that giant banner at the back of the auditorium is so that every time I stand up here, I've got to stare at it. It drives me nuts. I hate it. Anyways, what can the church do? If you take the, the, generous, the generous ideas, the, the generous estimations, there's only, there's only somewhere around, around 7 to 8 million of us, members of the body of Christ, in the world where there's 7 billion people. What can the church do? Well, here's the thing. Estimates say that there were somewhere around 1 billion people during the New Testament times. And it started with started with 13 people. Jesus and 12 guys that half of them couldn't read or write. What can the what can the church do? There's, we're just so small. We can't we can't help anything. We can't do anything worthwhile. There's, there's, no, there's no hope, Lee. People don't care about religion anymore. You know what? That's true. People don't care about religion anymore. Because the religion they've been shown is fake. The religion that they've grown up around in the United States, and really the world over, is, is it's based around putting on nice clothes and sitting in a pew once a week. See, I'm convinced that if people really understood what the church was, we couldn't build buildings fast enough to hold us in them. And I can prove it. Because in the New Testament, in a matter of about a year, those 13 people grew to 6,000. At least 6,000. First Timothy chapter 3. Verse, five, uh, verse fifteen says this: "I hope to come to you soon." This is Paul writing to his young protege, his young, um, his young mentee. First Timothy three verse fifteen: "I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar." And buttress of the truth. Not, not that the church of the living God is the foundation of the truth, but a, a, a pillar and a buttress. We, we hold up the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. You know, it's interesting. Okay. Paul's converted somewhere around 24 years old. Do you know when I did the math and figured that out? Do you know how old I was? 24 years old. And I, I sat in my office, and I looked at my Bible, and I went, Paul's 24 when he was converted, and I'm 24 now? He was much more of a man than I am. Anyways, Paul's converted around 24. At the time he's writing First Timothy, he's somewhere around his 60s or so. Timothy's probably early 20s. And so he's writing to a man who was the same age as him, roughly, the same age as him, when he started his ministry. And he's saying, don't let anyone despise your youth, but, but set the believers an example in speech, and in conduct, in love, and faith, in purity. Do you want to know why there's so many misunderstandings about the church? Why so many people don't understand what the church of Jesus Christ is? Why so many people misunderstand religion in general, and especially Christianity? You want to know why? I'm convinced it's because we haven't done our job. It's not that people don't like religion. It's not that people don't like Christianity. They don't like Christianity and they don't like religion because over the last 2,000 years, the church hasn't done its job. We did our job there for about 150 years. And then we started thinking that we knew a better way. And so we started treating the church in a way that God never intended for the church to be treated. And eventually, the church got so small that you just see little glimpses of it. There's a book... um, I can't remember the name of it right now. It's, it's a set of two. And it is a, a brother in England went through the history of religious quote-unquote Christianity and looked up all the times and put a book together of the little glimpses that you see of this person was was killed because he taught that baptism was by immersion for the forgiveness of sins. This person was killed by the, by the, the big church, the, the, big, the big fake church, because he thought that that instruments were wrong. This person was, it's little glimpses of the New Testament church throughout the last 2,000 years. Anybody ever tells you the church disappeared into the restoration movement? They, they just haven't read history. But because we didn't do our job, the church got so small that, that the false ways became the way that people think about Christianity. The reason why people don't understand the church is because, historically speaking, we haven't done our job very well. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking, um, well, let's just read it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. That a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and say, come, can this be the son of David? This man comes to him who's demon oppressed, what we talked about in Bible class this morning, by the way. And Jesus heals him. And so they start saying, is this the, is this the son of David? We'd, we've heard, we've heard that there was going to come a time when people were demon possessed and there was going to be a person who was able to to, to push them out and Maybe this is him. Maybe this is the son of David. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's, it's only by Beelzebub. That's the devil. It's, it's their word for the devil. The prince of demons, that this man can cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How will this kingdom? How will his kingdom stand? Look, look at the world today. You think Satan's kingdom's doing a pretty good job? This is my paraphrase of Jesus. Do you think Jesus or Satan's kingdom's doing a pretty good job? You think it's pretty strong today? You see all these demon positions. You see all this horrible wickedness that's going on. You see all these things that are happening in the world today. You think Satan's doing a good job at his at his goal? Well, yeah, Jesus, we think he's doing a pretty good job at his goal. How can he do that if he's divided against himself? Well, he can't. Exactly. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul would say that I want you to be united. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Satan does a really good job at his job. And if we're going to do a really good job at our job, 1 Corinthians 1, we have to be united. We have to stop making excuses and coming up with all of these different ways and saying that your way is just as good as my way. It's just just simply not true. We have to stop. We have to be united. But the, the answer is not just be united on whatever we want. The answer is to be united on on God's way. You know, I hate technology sometimes. And sometimes your iPad just decides to update as you're preaching. Anyways, that's okay. I got it right here. All right. We have to be united. We have to do our job better than Satan does his job. Because his job is so much easier. His job is so much easier. All it takes for him to do is make an excuse. All it takes for us to do is get people to realize that they're lost in their sins. And that Jesus came to save them from their sins. And that they need to follow Jesus. And in order to do that, they need to be baptized. and They need to, they need to have their sins washed away. And they need to live a faithful Christian life. Not so hard, is it? Pretty hard. I want to read to you uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one, with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when, we, when he ascended on high, he led the host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse number 10, well, verse 11. And he gave these gifts to apostles and to prophets, to evangelists, to shepherds, and to teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. He gave these gifts. He gave these miraculous abilities to to cast out demons, to heal people, to speak in tongues, to to prophesy in the name of God, to look at a person. This is the one that always amazes me. To look at a person and know whether or not they're thinking good thoughts or bad thoughts. To look at a person to know whether or not they're a Christian, just by looking at them. Now, we tend to think that we can do that a lot, don't we? We think we can look at a person and know whether or not they're a faithful Christian, but that's just not the case. We tend to look at people and say, oh yeah, that person's a Christian because he, you know, he looks like me. That's not true. He gave these gifts to men until, verse 13, we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we'll be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have to do the best job that we can because Satan's job is so much easier. And now we don't have those gifts anymore. We have something much better. We have the Bible. And people will say that you're a Bible thumper. People will say that you, that you put the Bible on a pedestal. Yeah. Absolutely. The reason why people misunderstand the church isn't because people don't care. It's because they just don't know. We haven't done a very good job. I'm speaking in generalities here. The, the church overall, hasn't done the best job in making sure that they know it. I want to show to you just how important the church was to the early Christians. Are you ready? Read the book of Acts. Paul goes into cities where he's run out. One city where he's stoned. And then just a few months later, he says, okay, I'm going back to the city that I was stoned at. The church meant so much to the early Christians that when there were Christians in Asia Minor, in modern day Turkey, that that were going to be going through persecution. John, who had already been kicked out of his home country, was living on an island that if you've ever looked up the Isle of Patmos, I just want to point out, there are no trees, there's nothing. The man's living on a desert island and he writes a book to seven churches that are going to go through persecution, and we don't know who did it, but he hands that book to someone that if the authorities find out what that book says, that person, his entire family, and everyone that has ever associated themselves with him will be put to death. And that person took that book and walked it to seven churches in the middle of a persecuted area And handed it to them. That's how much the church meant. To the early Christians. The church meant so much to the early Christians. That they would go. And they would walk up to a person. That they had never met before. And they draw a half moon in the sand. Knowing that if. If the other person didn't. Finish the other half moon. You've seen the Jesus fish on the back of cars. There's one on the back of my car. The Jesus fish, the ichthus. You know why that started? It's because we would walk up to each other on a dirt road and we'd draw a half moon. And if the other person drew the other part of the fish, we knew that that person was a Christian. Here's the catch though. If the other person didn't draw the other part of the fish, but knew what you were doing, you know what happens? They call 911. And the authorities come and pick you up. That's how much the church meant to That's how much each other meant to them. It meant so much to them that if they needed something, they dropped it at the drop of a hat and did whatever it took. In Acts 4 and 5, you have Christians who didn't have anything at all selling because other Christians needed something. That's how much the early church meant to each other. And I'm worried that the reason why people don't understand the church anymore isn't because they just hate Christianity. I'm worried that the reason why people don't understand the church anymore is because we're not the church a lot of times. We don't do a very good job. We don't care for each other. We don't spend time together. I'm talking the world over. If we're going to make an impact on over 400,000 people in those counties, you realize that? 400,000 people. I grew up in a town with 5,000. 400,000 people. If we're going to make an impact, we have to be willing we have to be willing to live the truth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, go ahead and turn over there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 6. Paul over and over again tells Timothy that he needs to be an example be an example to the unbelievers. Be an example to the people around you. Be an example to the believers. Don't let anyone despise your youth. You set an example. You let people see you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The word example there, 1 Thessalonians 6-8, through so that you became an example, is the same word That when Jesus is resurrected and he goes to the disciples, a man by the name of Thomas says, unless I see the marks on his hands, I will not believe that he was resurrected. And he gets a bad rap because we say that he's doubting Thomas. He didn't want to believe in the resurrected Jesus. He just wanted proof. He wasn't doubting. He wasn't doing anything unholy or anything like that. He just wanted proof. He wanted to know that what he was doing was actually true. The word example in 1 Thessalonians 6 is the same word that that Thomas said, unless I see the mark. The question is this, do we leave a mark on the world? We're always so worried about the world leaving a mark on us. Do we leave a mark on anyone else? Do, Do we, do when people finish talking to us, when people know us for an extended amount of time, do they... Do they know something about Jesus Christ? Have we left a mark on them? Or have they left a mark on us? First Thessalonians, or sorry, Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model. There's that word mark again. A model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. In essence, Paul just said, Titus... You make them lie. If somebody's going to talk bad about you, you make them have to lie about you. Because they can't find anything, they can't find anything bad about you. And you've left a mark on the people around you so much that if they want to hurt your, your influence, they've got to come up with some kind of lie. We have to leave a mark on the people around us. And in order to do that, we have to be willing to do what they did. If we're going to be the kind of people that they were in the first century, they didn't have everything right, and we're not going to have everything right. But if we want to go to the same place they are, we need to be the same kind of people they are. And if we're going to be the same kind of people they are, we have got to leave a mark on the world. And the way that Paul says you leave a mark, it's by being unified, by being the church, by living together. And worshiping together, yes, but living together. Being part of one another. You're members. Let me ask you a question, okay? If anybody wants to test this, that's fine. I just sharpened my pocket knife, and so after worship, we will test this, okay? Let me cut off your pinky finger and see what it can do. Anybody want to volunteer? It's sharp. It won't hurt that much. Let me cut off your pinky finger and see what it can do. No, if it's not part of the body, it can't do anything. Right? If we're not united together if we think we can do it alone, or if we think someone else can do it alone, you can't. And they can't. That's why we need one another. The only way we will leave a mark on four hundred thousand people in the in the year twenty nineteen as the Church of Jesus Christ in Columbus, Georgia, is to be united. That's why this afternoon, some churches are going to travel 45 minutes. Listen, some of us, let's face it, it's a struggle to travel five minutes. They're going to travel 45 minutes. They're going to leave worship early. All their preachers are preaching short. They're going to leave worship early. They're going to drive as fast as they legally can to get here. Some of them may drive faster than they legally can. That's between them and their Lord, all right? And they're going to come and they're going to worship with us in unity. But it's so much more than worshiping. If we're going to be the body of Christ, we've got to be united with one another. I want to challenge you to one thing this week. No, two things. I just added to my list. Sometimes I write my sermons as I'm preaching them, okay, Ron? Anyways, all right. I'm going to challenge you to two things. Number one, this morning, look around you. Pick one person that is obviously not here. Don't come to me and ask where they are. Here's going to be my answer from now on. Are you ready? Where's so-and-so? I don't know. Here's his phone number. I don't know. Here's her address. Pick one person. Find out and then report to me because I don't know either. I told you, I preached it to myself and it stung. And I made the joke with my friends this morning that I'm wearing my steel toed steel toe dress shoes because this one hurt this week. Pick one person, find out where they are. Next, next week. You see where you're sitting right now? Everybody make a mental note of where you're sitting right now. OK, you got it? Good. All right. You're not allowed to sit there. Next week, do not sit in the same place you're sitting this week. It's my challenge to you. Okay? Sit with someone that you've never sat with. It may get a little awkward. Especially for Rebecca, because she's got a little terror back there. Whoever gets to sit by Rebecca may get an earful. I feel so bad for Tanya and Dee most of the time. Back there screaming in their ears. Anyways... Sit by someone that you've never sat by before next week and find one person that you know is not here this morning and find out why. Don't ask anyone else. Ask them. Because if we're going to make an impact, The only way the New Testament says the church makes an impact, it's not by evangelism. It's not... That sounds strange, doesn't it? That a preacher would say the church doesn't make an impact by evangelism. It's not by evangelism. It's not by door knocking. It's not by anything else. It's by being united together. And everything else comes as an extension of that. And that's the only way, the only way, we'll make an impact. But more importantly, Let's not just make this about making an impact for other people. How can we expect to live with God for eternity? With the saints. I mean, that's what the book of Revelation says, right? That the saints are gathered around the throne of God. How can we expect to live with God for all of eternity? With all the other Christians that have ever lived If we don't like other Christians, some people are really going to hate heaven because they don't like worship and they're going to get there and it's basically worship. And they don't like other Christians and they're going to get there and they're going to realize it's just full of other Christians. The catch is, those people won't won't get there. The church is, is so much more than an organization. The church is so much more than a, than a building that we sit in once a week. The church is so much more than a group of people that teach other people about Jesus. The church is the body of Christ. And the New Testament says that if you are baptized into Christ, you are baptized into his body. And the body is the church. Ephesians 1, and 23. Galatians three. In verse 27, if you need to be baptized this morning and become part of the group that we've been talking about, everything's ready for you. We just check the water. There's water back there. And be baptized. We got clothes for you to change in. We even got towels for you to use. That's not the important thing. If you're ready to become a member of the body of Christ, know that it is not a decision that is made lightly. It is not a decision that you, you, you just want to come together on Sundays. If you're going to be a member of the body of Christ, you're going to have to be united with other Christians. And the, and the, the outcome of that is going to be evangelism, it's going to be making an impact on the world. If you're already a member of the body of Christ, let me say this. How can we expect to live with Him if we don't want to be a part of the group that he died for. We're going to stand and Gary's going to lead us in a song of encouragement and you can let us know if you need to respond to the invitation.